This episode of the Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you by iWake.com. Check out www.iwake.com for breaking news, articles, and exclusive videos. Thanks again to iWake.com. And now, it's showtime. He's been the voice of wakeboarding for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated Toad Water Sports' biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years on the water experience, charisma, and command of his audience, Noise of the North brings you the Golden Mike Podcast with Dano the Mano. Welcome, everybody, to the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the Noise of the North, Dano the Mano. We're coming at you from Orlando, Florida, and now it's time for some audio sunshine. This podcast is based off the lake life. My passion for toad water sports and the athletes who have helped sculpt the landscape of the sport we love. Twice a month, I'll be chatting it up with the industry's top names, past and present, the riders, and the people behind the scenes who make this world on the water spin. The Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you for free on the first and third Wednesday of each and every month, both on iTunes and at noiseofthenorth.com. To keep this podcast no charge, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show. iWake.com, Woodrose, Hydra Fenders, Jammy Pack, Performance Ski and Surf, Hungry Boards SUP, SeaDeck Marine Products, and GoPuck. Be sure to check out the sponsor link on noiseofthenorth.com to help support and to find special offers and deals from the people who helped me make this show happen. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe to the Golden Mike Podcast, free on iTunes, and don't forget to rate and review the show. Spread the word. Tell a friend. You know what? Tell two. Everything helps, and I appreciate all the support. Also, follow me on Instagram at Dano T. Mano. I also have two Twitter accounts, at the Dano T. Mano and at the Golden underscore Mike. Feel free to contact me with any questions or comments to the Golden Mike Facebook page or email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. On this episode, I sit down with Colin Harrington. Not familiar with Colin? Today, you get to hear from Colin himself and all about his interesting life, pre- and present wakeboarding. Harrington's a surfer, a filmer, a traveler, a fisherman, a wake awards winner, a wakeboarder. He's an old pal of mine, and we've been friends since 2003. I've watched Colin rise through the ranks over the years, and he's built an empire all on his own. He spends countless hours on his computer and just as many hours on the road. Colin is a creator, and I look forward to this little interview or, or conversation or, or whatever it's going to be. It should be a podcast nonetheless. I'm super excited about this one. Hopefully, you guys are too. We'll get to Colin in just a moment, but first... Let's hear from a sponsor. SeaDeck is the leading manufacturer of a range of comfortable and durable EVA non-skid products for the marine industry. Working with the manufacturing leaders in towed water sports boats, SeaDeck has redefined non-skid flooring. No more stinky carpet or hard rubber mats. SeaDeck provide exceptional non-skid, a luxurious feel, and because it can be customized to your specification, a unique look that will set your boat apart from the crowd. For a more in-depth look and for more information, visit SeaDeck.com and you have the perfect addition to your boat. Colin Harrington hanging out here uh, in your humble abode and 
I'll, first of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me over to do this thing. Thank you for uh, doing this, Dano. Yeah, I'm glad to have finally locked you down. You've been you've been a busy guy, and uh, not just this summer. You've been busy all season or all year long. Uh, ever since January, it seems like you've been on a, a, a different trip every every single week. So, what's it been? Uh, where have you been so far this year? Well, pretty much everywhere. Uh, just got back from pretty much almost two months straight on the road. Uh, was actually supposed to be on a trip right now, bungee jumping, but canceled that last second. And uh, I'm actually home for a bit. It's exciting. A world traveler. Uh, is there anywhere that you went this year that you that you haven't been before? Yes, New Zealand. New Ze- nice. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and Thailand. Two yeah. new places this year. Well, I, we're definitely going to get to Thailand in a little bit, but New Zealand, let's touch on that. I mean, uh, I, I heard you got to stop and visit with Brad Smela while you are out there. Yeah, first two nights, uh, myself and Bob Sovin were in Australia shooting uh, some Liquid Force stuff. And decided to jump over to New Zealand for eight days since neither of us had ever been there. And it's so close, you know, why not? Yeah, I'm hoping, I, I don't know, there's some talks about me possibly getting to go to the Moomba Masters in Australia this year. So I'm like figuring if I get that close, I, mm-hmm. I got to get out there. And, yeah. and you guys visited with Brad. How is he doing? Yeah, it's great to see how good Brad's doing over there. Uh, he's got an awesome group of friends. So it was good to see just, you know, a great crew that took us around, showed us all the cool spots over there. And Basically, we just kicked it with Brad every night. He had just moved into a new house, and we got there literally just in time for his housewarming party. So it was awesome. Meet everybody and meet his crew over there. Yeah. He, he's going to come back. He's going to make it. I, I definitely agree. So. He's got too much willpower. It's, it's good to see. It's another cool thing, uh, GoPro just uh, released something new, and I know that you've got a lot going on with them. What's your deal with GoPro? Uh, I've been riding for GoPro for... I, I don't even know, 07-ish, something like that. I remember going to a guy's house in Encinitas and literally getting GoPros from him at his house. That's how long ago. And now they have two gigantic offices and are growing nonstop. Yeah, so what what's the new buzz with this uh, with their latest release? What is yeah. the Session? The Hero 4 Session. It's basically smaller, lighter, and basically easier to use. One touch, boom, hit a button, turns on, records. Hold it for three seconds, comes on shooting photos. It's pretty much hit the button and go. You know, they have like different levels of athletes because I know that I've seen you and Dieter go out and do some some like really, really wild stuff and like some like special GoPro training. Uh, do they offer that to every one of their athletes? Or, and they're just not that many wakeboard athletes? or Well, they have, um, they have guys that they give GoPros to, kind of support crew, I guess you would say. But... um. Yeah, pretty much me, Dieter, and Melissa. And actually, Bob's Oven joined uh, this year. Um, yeah, they pretty much take us all the cool spots, do athlete summits every every other year, and yeah, we get to do some fun stuff. Yeah, I, I was uh, enjoying some of the video footage I saw. It looked really cool, those like uh, catamarans that you guys were in going through the waves or whatever they call those. Oh, yeah, the, the canoes, the the old school Hawaiian canoes. Yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. It looked scary, though, because if you got up on top of that wave, it looked like it could have literally like yeah. throwing you over the top well, and... well i mean you pick pictured almost 100 of the world's top athletes most of which know nothing about water all trying to surf some on these big old sub squatch board things there's like six people on a big stand-up paddle board canoes that we've never done before and everybody's just trying to catch the same wave and you're just blasting through people it was complete mayhem i can't believe nobody got hurt it i don't know it seems like it could have been like olympic village at yeah. night out there yeah it was insane yeah, a real nice little party too, I take oh, yeah. it. 
Uh, let's let's get down to it. Let's talk about the Colin Harrington story. You were born on the East Coast, uh, Maryland, I believe, if I know you Close. like I do, right? I was born born in Lewis, Delaware, which is actually the first town in the first state. Really? Yeah. How about that? You know, for all these years I've known you, I did not, I did not know that. Why do I think you're from Maryland? Well, when I was five months old, we moved to Maryland. My whole family's up in the Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania area. So five months old, we lived summer and fall in Ocean City, Maryland, and um, winter and spring in the Florida Keys. And literally the whole family back and forth every year till I was 17. And your family ran a fishing charter. Uh, well, my dad was a commercial fisherman. Okay. A little different than a charter. So he basically would go out for a week at a time and catch swordfish, tuna, stuff like that. But just so people know, he does do charters now, right? I mean, I do know that. He, he he's does. Taking... Like eight, eight or nine years ago, he bought a boat, gutted it, rebuilt it for two years. And we did surf charters in Costa Rica for a year and did Bahamas for two years and then six years in the Virgin Islands. Wow. So... And and mostly fishing too, right? Well, they do a lot of fishing too, but the uh, Virgin Islands was basically surfing and diving. Oh, very cool. And you grew up surfing too, correct? Yeah, I think I started when I was about seven years old. Cause my dad grew up surfing, my brother surfed, my mom surfed, whole and, family. You know, wakeboarding wasn't always your main focus sport. You were a surfer and you also rollerbladed a little bit too, right? Yeah. Got to bring that up, huh? I, somebody, <laughs> somebody has to. I want to want to hear about it though. I mean, were you were you ser- were you a serious rollerblader? I was. I uh, had a little video part when I was eleven. Um, actually, just the guy that filmed me for that almost hired me for a film job last week, which was random. And I actually talked to him and brought it up to him, and we were talking how funny it was that we were crossing paths again. And he but, didn't even realize that he knew you from uh-uh. from rollerblading. Uh-uh. I was like, hey, do you remember me by chance from this video? That's too funny. funny. Yeah, no, no, it's funny. It's, it's, it's crazy how like all this stuff, you know, we talk about a lot on this podcast, things come full circle and mm-hmm. and the different people that you meet. So um, did you, you know, Shane Bonifay also dabbled in rollerblading in the oh, yeah. mid 90s. So did you guys ever uh, come across each other? We We always joked about having a little blade off or something, but we never... Never did. We were both skateboarding by the time we met. Do you think you could still? Uh, what do they? What do they say? I'll, Strap I'll, on a pair of rollerblades. Hey, I'll bust out a soul grind. Lace up, lace up. Um, do you miss it at all? Rollerblading. I mean, if it wasn't such a, if it wasn't no. such a kind of kooky. I, I like skateboarding too much. Well, it was funny because I started when I was about seven. I started skateboarding and surfing. My brother's four years older, and he used to skate and surf, so I kind of followed his footsteps. I think when I was about nine. I started rollerblading and bodyboarding, which are like the two opposite things. And um, when I was about 13, I started surfing and skateboarding again. You talked about uh, living in Maryland half the time, living in the Florida Keys half the time. Was Did your family ever fully move down to Florida or are they still up there? Mm-mm. They We've pretty much lived a half and half life our entire life. Basically, when I was 17, I, li- I moved out of my house and said, I'm moving to Orlando to be a pro wakeboarder and try the pro tour. And a year after that, my parents sold the house in the Keys to put the money into the boat that they bought that did um, that they actually did the charters on. And so now they just have a boat slip down in the Keys. Nope, nothing in the Keys. Nothing. So mm-hmm. you just park down there when they're when they're there, huh? Yep. How how did you get into riding a wakeboard? Do you do you remember the first time? Do you remember mm-hmm. the lake, the boat, the person that you that you rode with? Maybe even the wakeboard you rode on. Yep. Well, being in Maryland, we'd be surfing, and then we go to the Keys, and there's no waves down there. 
So basically my dad would go and surf behind the boat, my brother, and you know, they'd all just play behind the boat. And his friend, uh, Russ Teal brought over a scurfer, a yellow scurfer one day. And he's like, Oh man, you got to try this thing. It's like this new thing. It's like a surfboard, but you got straps and you can jump high. And I used to watch my dad do it. And then when I was, you know, I was eight years old, I learned how to do it. It took me four tries to get up. I was always kind of scared of the water for some reason. Cause I was, I was in the salt water down there. So, you know, him being fish and I used to go out with him when I was real young and just seeing giant sharks and stuff. It was just embedded in my head, I think. So I was always nervous of the water. So I think when I was about 13, I started picking up a wakeboard again. What, what kind of boats were you guys riding behind? I learned on a 10 foot McKee craft with a 30 horse on it. And then when we were lucky, we'd take out the bigger boat, which was a 23 foot inboard. I don't even know what it was, but, um, once we really got into wakeboarding, we'd put uh, 50 gallon drums in the back, two 50 gallon drums and fill them up with a hose. You know, down in the, down in the keys, there were some other like wakeboard things going on. There was the world championships. Do you remember that at all? Were you there? I had no idea that was there. But you know, you do know now that it was there. So that's where Scott Byerly yeah, won Byerly the world. Think so, Gator got second? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I can't remember who got third. It was probably Darren, I would assume, <laughs> but who knows? Uh, what about Danny Hampson? He's from down there. Did you ever run a, across him growing up? I never knew Danny Hampson till uh, we were both living in Orlando. Really? Never even heard of him. I guess he had he had heard of me when I was down there, but yeah, I never never crossed paths with him. Or are there any other wakeboarders? Anybody who ever came out of the Keys other than like Danny or yourself? Mm-mm. I I mean, we literally knew nothing about the wakeboard scene. Anything we just simply did it because it was fun, and you know, you're in a small town in the Keys, and Pretty much stuff on the water is the only thing to do. We just go after school. We go play in the boats all day. Little fishing, a little diving. Exactly. Little uh, wakeboarding. Yep. What did you think you were going to do as an adult? I, I never really had a, a dream of being anything, uh, I guess, besides a professional athlete. Cause, you know, when I was young and I rollerbladed, I actually got pretty good at that and had had a team that I rode for and I'd, we'd go travel around and do shows and you know, I'd be like, oh, I want to be a pro rollerblader. And then I'd start skateboarding and got pretty decent at that and wanted to be a pro skateboarder. I was surfing, doing decent at that. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I want to be a pro surfer. Started wakeboarding, want to be a pro wakeboarder. So I was, you know, looking back on it, I pretty much always wanted to be a pro athlete. With all those other things that you're doing, how does wakeboarding become the one that you end up like doing? Well, summertime we'd be in Maryland. So I'd basically be surfing and skateboarding all day, every day. And then in the winter, we'd be in the Keys, and there's no waves, so I'd wakeboard and skateboard all day. And pretty much, you know, in Maryland, I'd be like, oh, I want to surf or skate for a living. And then in the Keys, I'd be like, oh, I want to skate or wakeboard. And ended up getting pretty good at wakeboarding and happened to graduate down there at the time. And I was like, all right, well, I'll go to college in uh, Orlando and try and do the pro wakeboard tour. So roughly, you moved up to Orlando about 17 years old. Uh, Who were the first people that you were living with and riding with? Um, I actually, a, a friend that I li- rode with in the Keys, uh, he li- he moved to New Smyrna. So I moved up to New Smyrna with him, stay, slept on a couch for, I don't know, th- four, six months or something like that in a one bedroom apartment. So I'd pretty much wake up, surf every day and then drive to the cable at OWC here almost every other day from New Smyrna. It's like an hour and 15 minutes. Is that like how you started connecting with some of the riders? I met uh, Robin Friday. I actually used to ride a bunch with him. So I met Robin in Dallas. Dallas was 13, 14. She was young. Uh, but me and Robin got to be good friends. I used to stay at their house all the time. And then um, Mike Ferraro had his place there. So I'd 
do work around there and pull sets for him just to get a free pull on the boat once in a while. And ended up, Darren Shapiro saw me riding out there one day because he used to ride out there and he's like, hey, you're a pretty good rider. You know, we got talking about surfing and this and that. And he's like, yeah, come out and hang out. Pretty much rode with him every day for two or three years straight. Yeah, and you know, Darren is probably, especially at that time, to be his riding mate was probably a pretty, uh, pretty good thing for you. Did did any oh, yeah. of his, uh, did any of his style or anything that he was doing kind of rub off onto you? Yeah, I mean, I used to, back then, I used to charge and fly out into the flats and love doing big S bends and all that good stuff, and that obviously came straight from him. When was the last time <laughs> you even did an S bend? Oh gosh, it's seven, eight years maybe. You need to bring it I'd, back. I'd, I'd be terrified to do one right now. <laughs> you need to bring it back, the C-band. Why? How come? Did you have like an early crash on one? Because the wakes are like three times the size. Yeah. It, I, used to, I used to blast as hard as I could go with that thing and just fly. Well, you remember what Darren could do off of like a little sea dew <laughs> wake at one point. Yep. So I, I can I can only imagine not. Well, I get to see Darren. I, Darren was riding in a bunch of events last year. He rode in all the pro wakeboard tour stops last season. He kind of made a comeback this year. I haven't seen him at too many events but the guy still can go so far awake to uh, i mean far way past the wake he's insane i, I did uh some shooting for the project that him and rod and worked on last year i shot him doing um speed balls double front flips off the double up and he landed he's a insane. couple of those right yeah he stuck one I, me and me watson let's see bob sovin danny hampson we're all out there riding and shooting he outrode every one of them <laughs> rode rode longer rode another set like just it was charging it was insane and the guy's like well i mean well, like just about 10 years older than us but you think yeah. about the miles on his body oh it's crazy it's insane contest wise i mean you've always had a, a a unique riding style kind of i don't know nowadays you're more of a the free ride guy but how important were contests to you back in that early 2000 era Basically, yeah, I told my mom I was moving to Orlando to do the Pro Tour. That was, that was all I knew that I was supposed to do. So I went and did that for, I don't know, five, four, five, six years, something like that, and sucked at it. It was terrible. You, you were done. You were, I started announcing the tour in, two, well, in 2006, and I was, you were done. I was, you, yeah. I, was yeah done I, don't, I don't think I've, yeah. I mean, I maybe have announced you in a contest maybe two or three times and it was probably something based around some sort of rail jam or something like that mm -hmm. but yeah contests just, they weren't my thing well rail contests rail contests i did good at i would go all you know all the pro tours would have a little like hit this rail and for a couple of people and you could win something and i won a lot of those um but i don't know rail contests i had that mindset where i like knew i could do well at it and just had that confidence and i'd always do you know first second third like always get top few and then uh, boat contest, I just, no matter how good I would ride the day before, I'd go out and fall. Well, you had the tricks. I mean, you had the tricks well, to do well. Well, that's what I would think. I'd be like, okay, I got the tricks, but I never went out and practiced like those runs. I never got into that. Darren would always try and get me to do that. And he showed me how to be a contest rider. I mean, I was learning from the best guy and couldn't do it. Didn't have that mindset. Some, hey, it's not for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Randall. Randall yeah. the Vandal, right? Exactly. Uh, riding wise, what are some of your uh, biggest accomplishments, maybe inside or outside of contests? Um, I don't know. I've been on Liquid Force for ten years. That's pretty good. Yeah, eleven years now. What are you like the second longest lasting Probably. member? <laughs> you got Watson, Shane, Shane, Bob. Maybe Bob. He's been Jason Sovin. <laughs> Bob yeah. and Jason Sovin. 
Melissa. Yep. Yeah, man that that is a that is a pretty big accomplishment, huh? Yeah, it's pretty good. You you uh you've done pretty well though, like wake stock stuff like that, right? Yeah, well the wake stocks like all the rail contests, like I guess. Oh, said, the do action to tour that one time in Orlando, yeah. two thousand seven. I won Didn't the you, uh, you do, won, that. won the do tour. Was that your biggest contest win? Probably, yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I was happy with it. I want to bring up that huge gap, uh, the pointless boys set up at OWC years ago, and I guess it, uh, you you talking about driving from New Smyrna to OWC kind of explains a little bit about it, but I remember there was this clip of you almost dying in the movie Incomplete. Do you have memories of that at all? And Oh, yeah. Uh, can you remember like what it was like going through your mind and from the takeoff all the way to the moment where you realized you weren't dead? Well, that was kind of when I first started hanging out with uh, Shane and the Pointless crew. You know, I was like, oh, these guys are cool. They were kind of kind of into the same stuff I was and kind of got to hang out with them and then, you know, started riding and shooting a little bit with those guys. And Chad, I remember, set up that gap because back in the day, it was like every, we, we did everything as a crew. Like there was always just tons of people. Nowadays, it's kind of it's weird. It's gotten so segregated. It's it's different. Yeah. Well, back in the day, we just literally all built stuff together, all rode together, all shot on it. It was just, it was fun. Well, nowadays there's so many riders. It seems like if somebody builds something, it's like, okay, get it built, get it shot, yeah. get it up as quick as possible everybody before wants everybody to, else yeah, Everybody wants to it. shoot it, only them, and it's, I don't know, it's different. It's understandable, but yes, it's just a, it's a different, it's just kind of a different mentality. But let's go back to this OWC gap. Uh, so, I, the, I did have Chad on the show one time. We talked a little bit about it, but I still want you to kind of, I want you to kind of lay out the scene for everybody listening. Yep. So we're all we're all there hanging, and Chad's setting up this gigantic gap, and you know, hitting the thing, doing crazy stuff on it as Chad does. And for some reason, I was like, "Oh, I I, I can do that. I want to do that." You was know, that, it behind the boat or on a cable? It was behind a boat. This was on a boat. Yep. And, okay. Way harder than a cable. And this is like literally, this is what would be considered an XL kicker nowadays, right? Yeah, it was a beast of a kicker. A big old kicker, and it was forty foot gap. Forty foot gap to the Pro Tour. Slaughter box. So it was basically a flat bar. A it was huge. higher. It was a little bit higher than the kicker. Right. With a 40 foot gap. <laughs> so it was a hard it, landing. So it's like probably like eight feet above the water line yeah, on top of it. Exactly. So, so I pretty much got up the nerve. Okay, I'm going to do this. And, you know, it took me a few times of going by it. And we were flying. I forget how fast we were going, but we were flying. And finally, first one, I think I'd, I slipped out on the kicker on the way up and basically did a rally accidental and landed on the flat box like right next to the pipes on the flat box spark shot out of my board that's how hard i hit <laughs> and then just completely flew off the thing and yeah everybody just was like holy smokes you just about died <laughs> and was it one and done I, th I think i tried twice can't remember the second hit though it didn't go well either at that point in your guys' <laughs> career would you ever even thought about maybe just setting it up on the cable side or but it, it would have been a heck of a lot easier, right? And smarter be just to way do it. easier. And smarter just to have done it on the cable. Yep. But I mean, even today, it, nobody's doing gaps like that behind the boat or no. really even on the cable. No. Back in the day, there was way more bigger, gnarlier stuff being done. Any rails or feature setups that you regret hitting? Nah, everything. I mean, there was some. Back in the day when people used to do like parking lot rail jams and stuff, there was some janky bad setups steep rails bad rails bad angles and it wasn't 
the best things, but it was fun. Well, thankfully, Good experience. Thankfully, we don't see setups like that anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> a little sketchy. Yeah. Have you ever seen anything that you wanted to hit that you weren't, uh, that you didn't have the chance to ride? Maybe like something that you were out, you know, some things that like come to mind is like watching some of the different stunts or, or different like trips that Brian Grubb gets to go on, you know, and I know that there have been a few of those that you've been a part of. I remember a story you were telling me there's that wave in the river uh, in China, mm. I think it is. And I think you told me like the first year you went there, you were there to film Strictly and you weren't able to to surf it or something like that. Yeah, it was a tidal bore in China, which basically twice a year, the moon and the tides and everything lines up just right. And then once a year, it's like a small little white water that just goes down the river and you can't surf it. Second time it happens in the year, it's like six foot to 12 foot. It changes the whole way. I think it breaks 80 miles up a river. And basically it's just a big tidal change that pushes a wall of water up the river that's a mile wide in some parts. And you basically are on skis and everything and you're just chasing it and putting a surfer onto the wave at different points. And and, and what happens if you fall? Do you get taken down? Is there like undertow or anything Yeah, well, like I mean, that? you surf for like two minutes at a time sometimes. It's crazy how long it is. And, and then you fall out the back and there's there's safety skis chasing out back just in case. But most of the time the ski driver can whip it around and jump over the wave and then go pick them up. And then you basically wait till you got a spot, an opening, and you can get back over. Now, you've done this once or twice? Twice. First it, time, me and Nick Taylor got to ride on it. So I was wakeboarding it, and he was wake skating it. And there was a couple of surfers, and I don't know how we got in there. Keith Kipp actually got us in there. And that was just a pretty wild experience. It was fun. It was unique. And then the second year you went back, were you able to surf it again? Second or? year I went back, and we, we weren't allowed to surf or anything. We were only allowed to... I was driving ski for the filmer. So it's tough chasing this thing for like four days straight. Not getting, not getting the surf it. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, still just to be involved is a, is a pretty oh, it, big deal. It, it's crazy. Like it's, it's, it's an experience that you can't explain. Like you watch videos of it and it looks cool, but being there and actually chasing it, it's like, it's like you're chasing a tidal wave for an hour and a half straight. Any other like cool, cool like waves, like, like stuff like that around? I know in uh, Texas, I heard Aaron Reed's got a, secret little spot that they hit oh yeah they got little standing waves in the river there's a few of those around um brazil has uh or the amazon amazon river has a, a big tidal bore wave like that i think over in indonesia there's one there's a couple of them around but not not many what about these like parks that i keep hearing about these man-made wave parks they're supposedly building one in austin Supposed going, going to supposedly they were building one here in orlando yeah they started they built a little test pool didn't work at all and they stopped and that that's done. It's done. They put the kibosh on yep. that. You can still drive over there, and I think they have the little test pool there still. Let's take a quick break now and talk about GoPuck. Enjoy mobile freedom with wearable power. The GoPuck is an ultra-lightweight and compact charger storing enough power to charge any mobile device. Designed for the active lifestyle, GoPuck gives you durable power solutions and fits in the palm of your hand. I'm always on the go, and GoPuck helps me keep all my devices charged all the time. Whether it's riding my bike, at the beach, or on the boat, I can charge all of my devices. I use it on flights every week and wouldn't. I couldn't leave home without it. The Golden Mike Podcast is powered exclusively by GoPuck, powering our Zoom recording device and GoPro cameras. Use promo code MANO2015 for an extra 20% off. Again, go to gopuck.com 
forward slash Mano, and don't forget to use the promo code Mano2015. Uh, back to wakeboarding. Wakeboarding, wake skating, wake surfing. You've dabbled in all of them. I think you've competed in all three of, of those different disciplines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about wake skating. Why isn't wake skating a bigger deal? I don't know. I think it's just because it, you fall a lot and it's harder to do. But, you know, they're, they're, I think it's, it's wake sports in general are such a family type sport. You know, because the parents are going to buy the boat and, you know, everybody goes out in the boat together and all that. But it's just harder. It's, I don't know. It's crazy to watch the wake skating actually getting better, like, fastly and how impressive it is now, but less people doing it. I remember you wake skating back in the day. You were more of, like, a big air wake skate guy. You were, like, cranking into the wake, doing, like, big old Benihana's, right? Stuff like that. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it because I enjoyed the wakeboarding, but I, you know, I grew up skateboarding as well, so I enjoyed just blasting airs and doing that stuff. I am so blown away with what they're doing uh, on a wake skate, whether it's cable, whether it's a two tower, whether it's a winch, whether it's it's behind the boat. Boat riding is my favorite to watch. It really is. Yeah. I I have a, such a respect for for Brian Grubb and Reed Hansen and BT and, and Danny Hampson for for what they do. But man, I I just it blows my mind that uh, that. Sometimes I don't think they that they get as much credit as they probably deserve for as hard of work as it is what they're doing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's it, it's a bummer that it's not a bigger thing. What are your thoughts on competitive wake surfing? Hmm. Touchy subject. I mean, you you did get a boat. You were you were the first rider. Probably people don't know this, and I guarantee a lot of the top names nowadays have no clue, but you were the first Centurion sponsored wake surfer. For, for you know i mean i don't know if i was no i was for wakeboarding but the it, the it wake was, surfing it was because part I, I wake surfed at the world championships in 2003 were two. you did you, and how did you end up doing back then i got second three years in a row you you call it a touchy subject just i mean if you don't mind kind of just elaborating on that a little bit well wake surfing's fun you know, you go out, you pack a cooler full of goodies and you go out in the boat and you hang out with your buddies and you wake surf and everybody's laughing, having a good time. It's awesome. It's fun. The competitive thing, if you're doing it for fun, it's cool. But I think the people that take it really seriously, like it's, you know, like this crazy new sport type thing. I'm not into that. Is there a way though to, is there a way to make this a, a good compa- it's gonna happen it's happening it's, it's, it's happening but the problem is it's so limited that it it doesn't it's like not doesn't need to be there yet type of thing i mean you know when you've got the best guys and best guys in the world or whatever at wake surfing but yet you can take a pro surfer put them on a wake surfer for three days and they can do everything that the top wake surfer in the world can do including invent new tricks including do more then that's not really that competitive aspect, you know. Are new tricks being invented on wake surfers? I, mean, I I see on social media new guy put guys and gals posting photos like, oh, just landed this like just invented a trick on a wake surfer. But I mean, hasn't everything already been invented on a yeah, real surfboard? Exactly. I mean, uh, I mean, there's some people that are going to do different flip trick type things on it, but I don't know. It's fun. It that that's what it is. It's wake surfing is fun, and that's what it should stay. Well, I mean, we've been doing it for a really, really long time. For, and like, okay, for instance, 
was shooting some boats, some some stuff. I was shooting some stuff last year, and this family was there, and their daughters were wake surfing for the for the shoot, you know. And it was just to have people surfing behind the boat, and the father was talking about how he had taken the daughters out of school to homeschool them so that they can focus on wake surfing. And that I, I, that was it was mind blowing for all of us that were there. We just it was dumbfounding. And then did you did you see them ride? Yeah, they had to be amazing. No, I mean they're you know twelve thirteen year old girls just pumping down the wake doing a little air. It's like I don't know. Yeah, some people are gonna hate me for this, but it's it's okay. You know what though? Here's the thing. I I. And I don't want to play devil's advocate, but uh, there was a time around 2000, or I'm sorry, 1992, 93, 94, 95, where water skiers were looking at wakeboarding in the same exact fashion. You know, oh, it's just a little air, so you know you can do a couple of different things, but they never really saw it turning into a contest. And you know, look how far we've come. Yeah, it, it, but it, it's still so limited. I mean, obviously the wakes are getting better. It's they're they're insane now, but they're still waist high. And you can do a two-foot air at best. Right. So it's not like you can go rip a huge bottom turn to a big old round turn like a surfboard. It's just, there's so much limitation on it yet that it, it shouldn't be at the competitive level it's at, I guess. Sure, sure. So, I don't know. Well, you know what? I'm it, trying to say that in a nice way. I, well, and you know I what? do enjoy it. I love it. It's fun. It's cool to me just to hear, because I, I look at guys like you and Ruck and Parks and Shane and Danny and Watson as some of the pioneer wake surf guys of the way we know it today. I, I think that a lot of people are misguided in their information. I don't believe that uh, enough people realize that if you go back through the books of history, you can find people wake surfing or as closely to wake surfing as, as you can get probably as early as like 1920, something like that. As, as, as soon as there's an engine on a boat. I was wake surfing in 1990. And I've seen, I've seen photos from, from Cypress Gardens from the 60s or 70s of a huge wake surfer. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I'd, I've heard stories of people taking super long longboards out behind the boat, you know, oh, yeah. back people, in the 80s. People have been doing it for years. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a whole different ball game nowadays. But I do look at you guys were the ones who took it to the level. And uh, you never really took it serious as a, as a competitive sport. And... Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of dollars right now that are kind of being yeah. being thrown in it and being taken out of the like a lot of the top wakeboarders' pockets. I have people quite a bit going, "Oh yeah, you should have stayed with wake surfing." I mean, you know, in what 2003, yeah, I was the world number two or whatever three times in a row, and pretty much doing the same tricks they're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you have a lot more tricks on a wake surfer nowadays than you did back then. Yeah, but... Or maybe you have the same ones, but they're just much more polished. Well, yeah, there's better boards, too. Yeah, absolutely. We're literally wearing skin boards back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I, I remember you doing a lot of tests on, on wake surfboards when they were first, you know, companies were trying to, to build them. I remember you living with Shane and folks sending boards over to the house and you doing a bunch of prototyping. And like you said, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And the funny thing is that every single person in our industry, all the wakeboarders, all the people behind it and everything, all feel the exact same way I just said. But nobody will say it because wake surfing is paying bills. Yeah. Oh. And it, it's great. It's, I mean, it's, it 
kind of saved wakeboarding to a point. Well, and you know what? At the end of the day, it's not like you're saying that you're not going to go wake surfing. No, that's what I'm saying. It's fun. I have an awesome time doing it. And probably do that at least once a week or more I, sometimes. Yeah. But just competing in it, I just I can't get myself to do it. Let's uh let let's get back to the old Colin Harrington timeline. Uh, going through the years before wakeboarding and the filming paid the bills. I know you did some some odd jobs uh, in your career. You already talked about doing some stuff like helping pulling for Ferraro and and with Darren Shapiro and stuff. But uh, what were what were some of the other uh, jobs that you've done that that were were uh, along my, the way? My first job was screen printing T-shirts. Right. Up in Maryland. I fished with my dad for a summer or two. That's hard work. Um, and then pretty much bus tables for years and years. Even all the way till I had moved to Orlando, I started busing and waiting tables at TGI Fridays. Right. So did, now when you were like a waiter at TGI Fridays, did you ever run into like any of the riders or like maybe somebody that you knew and, yeah, or, well, or that you Chad, knew Chad of? Sharp and some of the, I was friends with all those guys by then. So Chad came in a few times, and there was a couple guys that came in. Looking for the discount? Oh, yeah. At that time? I hook him up with some free uh, little Oreo cookie madness. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't even know what that's all about. Uh, Oreo cookie madness. Now, we go to the BJ's here in Orlando. Is it, mm-hmm. That's all about the bazooki. That's true. The bazooki. So you and I became pretty good friends while you were living. Hang on, another job. I built oh. docks. Oh. With Doc Dave. Yes. Yeah, Doc Dave. What's that guy's deal? Is he around anymore? He... I heard he moved away, and then, I I don't know, I've been seeing, I guess he wrote a book. Really? I've seen some stuff on Facebook, he wrote a book. You were, you I were, want to read it, actually. You were deep in the Mike Ferraro crew for oh, yeah. a long, long time. Now and Shapiro, Ferraro, Doc Dave. Yeah. It was a good crew. We had a good time. A lot of a lot of practical jokes and, oh, yeah. and pranks and whatnot and stuff going down. Think about that, because I'm going to talk about it in a little bit here. Uh, we I was just about to, to transition, uh, transition into uh, Clear Lake. You and I became pretty good friends when you were living with Shane Bonifay out out here on Clear Lake, which is where you still live, and we are actually recording from your house, which is uh, in one of the channels off of about a block from Shane's. Yeah, about a block from Shane's house or so. Living with 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 Shane, that was like roughly two thousand three through two thousand nine. It's about the same amount mm-hmm. of time I was living with Ruck. What were uh, some of the best and worst from that era that you can remember? Uh the best was just becoming friends with everybody. I mean, Shane got me on Liquid Force and pretty much, you know, Shapiro gave me a good kickstart in my career. And then Shane, living with Shane and just being around that whole crew, who was kind of the the cool kid crew, I guess you would say, or whatever, the pointless crew. It was popular at that time. Um, helped me, helped my career. So it was great. And what about like some of the the worst parts? I remember uh, the party, the never ending parties, probably for for a long time. And and you were a serious yeah. guy. I mean, you you, well, you had, I, you're fun. I party. I mean, yeah. I you know first moved into Shane. I was like, oh well, I'm living with Shane. Like this is cool. And you know, got to be friends. But yeah, those guys like to party. I liked to party when I was younger. And then kind of got to the point where I was like, all right, I got into the filming, editing, and actually started having some responsibility. So I would uh, I would be in bed by. 11 or 12 and wake up every night to chain and those guys coming home from downtown at two or three in the morning. Once again, probably practical jokes and pranks ensued on on your behalf, I'm sure. But you just talked about the uh, editing the video that when did you get into that? 2006. I bought a Panasonic HVX 200. And you're, you never, you never went to school for this. You just, you just decided. Well, kind of. When I was when I was younger, I I 
um, had a little still camera and actually shot a couple photos of my friends surfing and just messed with it and enjoyed it, but I never pursued it. Um, and then, you know, just being around, uh, Justin Stevens was a huge factor for me because, you know, I, I, I was shot for relentless when I started riding for liquid force. So I was into the camera and, you know, being around Justin shooting everybody else, I just kind of learned. And then also Joey Medoc, he was one of my best friends when I first moved here for a long time. And he just, I was always with him, helping him shoot, shooting me and helping shoot other people. And it just was something I was getting into without realizing it. And then in uh, 2006, bought my camera. And then basically, that was that. I never put it down. It was kind of, it's it sort of started as a hobby and it is now turned into kind of, yep. well, not kind well, of, well, it is okay, now your re- job. Rewind back just before I bought my camera. I was at Shane's. I had a knee surgery, so I was out for a bit. And we all went to the beach and went surfing. Or they went surfing and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll film you. So I took Shane's camera, filmed a little bit and made a little edit of just that day surfing. And literally, like, I remember that particular edit, which I lost. I don't have it now. It was my first edit, and I don't have it. What a shame. Yeah, it's a bummer. Should have YouTubed it. Yep. And uh, I didn't even know about YouTube back then, I don't think. We were, we were all a little bit late on the whole computer scene. I, don't, yeah. I, I know I lived with Ruck, and I don't think we got a computer till 2006 or seven. Yep. And I think everybody was kind of on that same. Shane had the computer. Mm-hmm. but i mean he yeah one friend had it why do we need one yeah exactly but <laughs> i don't think any of us really used it very much i don't think shane used it too much either in between i think every now and then every few years he'd start editing trying to finish uh his new pointless movie but uh what was your first big break within your media endeavors um well the first little film job i ever got hired for was for red bull shooting uh some a collegiate wakeboard day or something at owc and then um, the following year, they hired me to shoot photos of it, which is my first photo job. So it's yeah. kind, of, kind of cool saying Red Bull is my first actual media hire. Yeah, especially for like filming and shooting because they've got like all these, <laughs> you know, I, I'm doing it too right now. And for, uh, you know, I write, uh, I write and take photos for a blog for iWake.com. And then also the WWA has been uh, using a bunch of my photos and stuff. And obviously with, with practice, I'm getting better and better, but it, it's just insane. Like, th- by no means do I think that I am a good or even great, great or good, you know, photographer at all. But I know, like, just being in the mix, being right there, not afraid to to get up there and ask for the photo or take the photo. I think mm-hmm. that's what kind of uh, gives guys like us a little bit of an opportunity, a little bit more of an opportunity. Sometimes yeah. that was the hardest thing about me when I first started shooting is actually like jumping up in the middle of a bunch of people and trying to get a shot. I'd always want to stand back and kind of hide back and get the shot, but actually getting up and just not being afraid to get up there and shoot was the biggest thing. Yep, exactly. Well, it's probably a lot easier for you now. Now you probably are pretty good at directing, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten used to kind of directing everything, so it's much easier now. Aside from your video box of fun, which we'll we'll talk about here shortly, uh, what are some of the other uh, videos that you've been involved with and what was your favorite to work on? I don't know. I've been involved in a lot of things. Tons of fuel TV stuff. Just randomly shooting all that stuff. Feet on fire. Shot that for fuel. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, I, was that for? Did we shoot that for fuel or was that one for? It uh, was for fuel, I think. I'm trying to think of what was that other a- Ally Sports we did one for one year. I didn't see it come mm-hmm. out though. A lot of the, it's it's crazy how often you you work on something and then you never see it come out. Yeah. 
I do that a lot now. I shoot some stuff for like really cool things. I can't even think off the top of my head, but shot a lot of cool things and there's, I've never seen them. You're just like, dude, well, and you know, it just gets to a point where it's like, it's our job. So we'll take mm-hmm. the money, but. But at the same time, I love seeing just even one product. shot on something on TV or something like, oh, that's my shot. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I get, I get, I get just as pumped up now on getting a good shot as wakeboarding, landing a new trick. Do you prefer seeing yourself? on tv or do you prefer seeing your actual like work like your footage or your edits or no both i guess it's pretty cool yeah it's cool to be able to see both yeah it's, it still kind of blows me away that either one happens yeah right um let's let's talk about uh some of your nicknames over the years um i know some of them are probably not appropriate hang on I wanted to say something for the uh, big break in the media. He's got something for the big break in the I media. Got something, got Let's it. Let's hear it. Liquid Force was my first real big break because when I bought my camera the next year in 2007, Justin Stevens stopped to do company and he was doing all the filming and quit. And they were like, all right, well, you can do this. I basically told him I could do it and make videos and whatever for him, not knowing what the heck I was doing. And they trusted me and... I uh I stepped away from that position this year, but I did uh, seven years. Seven years, and how many edits would you say, just I, approximately? I mean, we'll say I did 110 product videos in one week last year. Oh my lord! I know <laughs> that I, I know that I've so even countless, been a part countless of countless videos. I know you've even had me as a as a guest appearance in some of your videos over the in oh, yeah. some of your uh, Liquid Force videos. I did the the bowling one with Benny G. Mm. I'd love to make another one of those. That was so Should much Should we make fun. another Box of Fun? Yeah, well, I mean... I, I've been talking about it a lot lately, actually. Well, of course. We're, we're going to talk about Box of Fun here in just a moment. Let's let's talk about your nicknames. How about that? You cool? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some... I was, I was getting to this here. Some probably not appropriate to talk about or even to mention here on this podcast. Uh, yeah, you never know. One day I might go explicit, but for right now, we're we're keeping it pretty pretty mellow. Hey, we can the, name some of them off. Well, I always was partial to the um, the Lizard Master. Is there any any nicknames that stick out to you? I don't know. Uh, gosh, we had Colin for nothing. That one stuck the most. Colin I think for Jay nothing. I just call him to, you know, I was bored. Just call and see what he was doing. He's like, you're just calling for nothing. So calling for nothing. <laughs> and it literally stuck for years. I like just got rid of that. Yeah, I love that one. I actually, at a time, I wanted you to do a um, a wakeboard edit to a song called "Nothing for Nothing" from Billy Preston. I thought it would just mm. fit out, fit fit your name. Nothing from nothing means. Yeah, yeah, song. yeah. We used a Billy. You used a Billy Preston song for one of your edits. I think I did. I forget what I did. It was it was for your video part, so it must have been in "Relentless" or "The Truth" or something like that. I don't know which video it was. Been, there's been so many, so many. So what do you think? Any other other any other Colin for nothing? Um The Hammer. The Hammer. <laughs> Hollywood. Hollywood Hammer Hollywood. Hollywood Harrington is another yeah. one. Why do we call you? I don't the, know. I don't know why that one came out. I don't know. That was a weird one. Which one? Hollywood? Hollywood. Yeah. I never liked that one. I, I know you didn't like it. I think it was because you were so deep into making videos and stuff like that. I think you started not having as much time for all of us. So we Yeah. I'm I'm happy I did it now because I I made a career out of it. Yeah. That's nice. Look at you. Half of us are half of us are flipping burgers now and <laughs> you're still just pressing keys behind a computer. 
Um, let's do it. The Lizard Master. I like lizards. Growing up in the Keys, we'd me and my brother would run around and catch lizards all day. So I'd catch them here and I'd flip them over and rub their belly and put them to sleep. And then wear them for earrings. And then you put them on your ears, wear them for earrings and weird lizard tricks. Yeah, it was always cool. <laughs> they were they were always. Uh, I, was, I was always catching lizards and actually had an iguana when I lived at Shane's house for a bit. Yeah. Name, name Hector Valdosta. Yeah. Did he get out? Hola, mi amo es Hector Valdosta. Yeah, he talked too, didn't he? Mm-hmm. That was his name. Didn't that's that guy? Didn't that guy um, escape? Yeah, he escaped, and then Nick Wanaker is like, "Hey, uh, somebody called me and said there's an iguana like a couple neck canals down. Like it's got to be yours." We drive. We take the boat down there, and sure enough, we see an iguana hanging out on a tree limb, hanging over the over the water. He's no Hector though. No, well, we thought he was. So we 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 chase him down. We catch him after like twenty minutes. Bring him back to the house. And we're like, oh, we caught the lizard. And then all of a sudden, somebody's like, oh, we just saw the iguana just on the canal coming into the house, right by Shane's. And we're like, no, we got him right here. And they're like, no, we just saw him. We're like, no, we got him right here. I'm like, no, literally, there's an iguana right there. Yeah, that so was we ended so up, funny. Yeah, we ended up catching a different iguana. Now we had two iguanas. <laughs> so Hector had a friend. So Hector had a friend, and we we. Let him go not too long. That, that second iguana was humongous, if I remember. Wasn't that? He was, was, he a, was bigger for sure. A really, really, really big uh, yeah. um, iguana. Uh, how about some practical jokes? I mean, obviously, to, to make a fun job like wakeboarding even more fun, we tend to see some practical joking behind the scenes. And over the years, you've orchestrated a few uh, practical jokes yourself. What's your favorite? That you've orchestrated? I've never really liked any of your practical jokes because... Remember I put a snake in a cage in Parks' car. He's deathly afraid of snakes. Yeah. He didn't like that. That wasn't that wasn't very cool. What else have you done? Um, Halloween one year after a long night of, of partying, I drew penises on Eric Ruck's face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't like that at all. No, and actually there's footage, and there's footage in the movie Box it, of yeah, Fun. And exactly. Man, he was so so mad. Let's let's. We're we're best friends now. So yeah, cool. no, I think it was cool. The next day, I think yeah. everybody hugged it out. Yeah. But uh, I was standing from afar because I was living with Ruck during this. But basically, we we get home from a from a Halloween party, and Colin decides it's time to start drawing phalluses all over Ruck's face. And Ruck is one of those guys like me who doesn't get drawn on. We don't draw on people, so we don't want to get drawn on. And drawing on people is one of your signature things, right? Well, or it used I, to be. I've been drawn on a lot. Right. You know, we were young. We used to do it all the time. We'd draw on each other, and, you know, we'd dish it out and get it back. Right. It was just one of those things that happened. Well, this was Ruck's first time, and he did not take kindly. I remember no. he kicked everybody out of the house, including me. You know, I think he told his wife and me that we were not allowed to leave the house. Yep. I remember sneaking out, and then... I remember also after that coming back to the house like a little bit later because I was trying to stay away and I know Ruck had, Ruck had snuck over to your house, thrown a bunch of your wakeboards on the roof. and He, then, he, he <laughs> let the air out of my tires on my truck. Yes, he let the airs <laughs> out of out of the... Uh, <laughs> but you know what? We, we uh, got you back for that. Oh, that was a great night. It was fun. We got you back for that. You've done your fair uh, share of practical jokes, but you've also been the butt of a few practical jokes over mm-hmm. the year. Um, like finding poopy water in my scuba diving boots when I had scuba diving training the next day. Yes. And I, but I, you know what? I also got the worst end of that because you came over to get your, your poop filled boots. It was poop and water and you came and you picked them up. I think you squeezed, I think you picked one up and realized what was going on. 
and you knocked on my bedroom window. You're like, hey, come outside. And I walk outside and you're like, what's this all about? And you like threw all of the water <laughs> that was inside the boots onto me. Yeah. yeah sorry. That was, and I had nothing well, I, to I, do with it. I was going it. to scuba diving training and for wake surfing or something, for some reason my booties were over there because it was in the winter. And I went to go grab them in the morning on my way to the class. And there's literally water and something sloshing around in my boots. And I'm like, okay, what is that? And yeah, sure enough, there's poop <laughs> and water. It was just a bad idea from in a... my boots. And they, they had told me that uh, Clay Fletcher and Joey Maddox yeah. had pooped, literally squatted down and pooped in my boots. Yeah, we told him, we, we, we elaborated a story with a spoon. We said they used a spoon to, to kind of direct the, yeah. the turds into the boot or whatever. And then, and then you threw the spoon in the lake. And then pointed like, yeah, the spoon's down the lake. It's like one time there's a spoon in the lake. So the story, I kind of believed it for a little bit. Yeah. Well, Ruck and I did our best to to really make the story believable. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing was Clay Fletcher told me the truth. Literally a how little long bit later, after? A little while later. But so I knew the truth and you guys, I would always bring it up and you guys would still think I didn't know the truth and would just, I would play along with it so good. So for years we stuck to this lie. Oh yeah. And then I, I knew the truth and you guys thought it was just the funniest thing. The other, the other, um, my other favorite prank that we ever played on you is myself and Nevin Tutin. Um, you were out of town and for some reason, I think it was a practical joke, but you had some sort of Japanese, it was at Shane's but, house. So it could yeah. have been anybody's, but it was well, a Japanese for, smut time, magazine. Yeah, first time I went to Japan, I, there was some funny porn magazines basically so i bought one and uh brought it home well the thing that's funny about them is that and everything that was, is a joke everything is blurred out yeah. inside it so, yeah. you, so you really can't see that yeah. anything so it's but, a complete joke for the most part but anyways uh myself and nevin tootin came over to your house uh while you were out of town uh we we went on to tear every page out of that book out of that magazine i think there was maybe like 80 pages or so and we strategically put them in different places all around the house and you and and in our in our heads we were like oh Colin's gonna come home and he'll be finding these these pictures for for years and uh I, I've heard a rumor that you're still opening envelopes and finding photos and magazine clippings from that yeah well I, I randomly found a couple over the years and would laugh about it and you know realize that you guys had done that and we'd would joke about it every time I'd find one. And then I moved out of Shane's house and realized that they were literally everywhere. Everything I moved, I mean, record cases, everything that I had hanging in the room, they were behind those in books and you name it, they're literally everywhere. And we, and we also tried to throw you off the scent by, um, you were out of town and your fan was running and we tied with a fishing string that, uh, the, the spoon from the, oh, that's right. from the poop boots on that. So that string is just with the spoon is just flying around your room for weeks. Uh, the spoon went back and forth a few times. I put it on your pillow. Yeah. I didn't like and that. Then it ended up on Clay's pillow. Yeah. Good times. I'm glad that spoon, glad that spoon is, uh, is gone. But, uh. Hey, you know what? Practical jokes, that's what it's all about. It, it grows the bonds, right? Between mm -hmm. between the crew. It's about time for another practical joke. Yeah. But Nobody's done one in a while. Yeah, please don't uh don't do one to me. Thanks. Which means I'm probably gonna be the next one to get a practical joke. Let's talk about your movie Box of Fun. Um basically it paid homage to the ideals behind old school wakeboard movies. How did you decide to make it uh go in that direction and most importantly, how hard was the process uh, start to finish? 
I bought the camera in 2006, started shooting a little and messing with some edits and literally went, I could make a, a video and just literally never put it down. I would shoot every time we go ride, every anything we did, I would just have the camera and we would just pass back and forth and shoot each other. I think I made it in 2009, I put it out. So it was like a three-year process. And I had gotten a, halfway through, I had gotten a newer, better camera. So I kind of was replacing clips as I was learning and actually started knowing somewhat of what I was doing, which still by the end of it, I had no clue what I was doing. It was literally a learning process. I never went, oh, I want to make a video in this direction. It was just, that's literally what came out. You know, you had a pretty cool group of guys in that movie, um, Eric Rock. Shane Boniface, Sean Watson, Kevin Henshaw, Clay Fletcher was in that movie. Chris O'Shea. Chris O'Shea was in that movie. I had a couple of uh, little cameos. Unfortunately, mm. it was. I w- wanted to put more of you and Joe and Joey Medoc and all that. I know, but you know that that's when I was kind of you. You'd always be like, "Hey, come on, let's go shoot something." And I think that was a part of my life where I was just really focusing more on uh, partying drinking and staying out late and stuff like that. I, I think I was about 25 pounds heavier than I am now and uh, and probably hadn't really been behind a boat in, in a few years. But you found a place for me. You put me on the magic carpet. Exactly. People always talk about that. Do you yeah. have any, you got any uh, copies of? Oh yeah, I got about 400 copies left if anybody wants one. Let's do this. They're free. Let's do this. If you are listening to the Golden Mike podcast and you send me an email at uh, goldenmike, at noiseofthenorth.com. If you pay for shipping, I'll send you... Which is what, three, four bucks maybe? Three or four bucks. But I'm assuming that I'm going to get like 300 people sending me messages for this. If you pay for shipping, I'll send you a, a copy courtesy of Colin Harrington yeah. of Box tell, tell us how many you want. Can I have as many as you want? That's right. But if you sell them, then you got to send us some royalties, right? Yeah. Just okay. have them. Just let us know. Do what you want to do. We'll send you as many as you need, uh, as long as you pay for shipping, guys, and we'll sign them, or we won't. We'll leave them in the plastic. It's up to you. Easy, right? Exactly. Good way to move some product. Hey, another movie that you were a part of that I thought was really creative and cool was called Voyage, and it was a pretty unique video based off of a trip down. Was it the Tennessee River? It was. The, it was the Tennessee River, which turned into the Tom Bigby, so the Ten Tom River. And it, and it and that goes all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. Started in Knoxville, Tennessee, where the guys from Jalpro are they did the video they're from. So started there and literally went down the river all through twenty one locks, I think, and all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. And no hotel rooms, no cell phones, right? Mm-hmm. That was the, that was the whole purpose of the thing is basically get there, put your cell phones in a in a case, don't touch them. You know, we would pull them out when we needed to. We'd do a little Instagram just to keep. Nowadays, you have to keep the social media thing going and all that. So when we needed to, we would blast some social media. First couple of days I was there, I had a bunch of flights to book. So like at nighttime, I would go away from everybody. I'd book my flights real quick and that was it. But literally, it was put your phones away and just enjoy life. Enjoy the enjoy, enjoy the, your surroundings, what's around you. The, from watching the video, it made it seem like you guys never had access to your, to your smartphones. It was, it was, well, some of the guys never touched them. That would have been me. Which... I, I try to touch mine as little as possible. It's probably kind of refreshing. Oh, it's awesome. I wish I could do it. Yeah. When everybody's so connected nowadays. It's insane. Like, you have to do your Instagram, your Facebook. Have you ever been on another trip like that one in particular? Well, when I'm overseas, you know, I love it because your phones don't work. But then everybody's rushing to find Wi-Fi. So, oh, is there Wi-Fi here? Where do we get Wi-Fi? 
Yeah, right. It just, becomes his Wi-Fi race. It's, it's pretty sad nowadays. Real quick, just to check your Facebook status. Exactly. Yeah. How many likes you got on Instagram? You're like, oh man, I, I only got two more likes since yesterday. Yeah. Dang it. Let's go back to flip phones. You might as well. I think you had a flip phone. You had a flip phone for a real long time. You probably didn't. Yeah, I stayed away from the the touch screens for as long as possible. But now it now if you want to be a professional, you almost have no choice. I don't care who you oh, are. You literally, you, you have say. no choice. Um, you also had some major success at the Wake Awards uh, back in 2013, uh, winning Best Wakescape Part and Web Edit, both with Danny Hampson. How important was that moment for you? That was uh, that was awesome. Me, Hampson, Bob, and Aaron basically were like, "Oh, let's you know make some videos this year," and they're they're all good friends of mine. So we just shot and filmed and made three awesome video parts. And um, yeah, Danny Hampson ended up winning, and yeah, winning the winning the best web video was great for me. That it was it's kind of was my goal. I guess not my goal, but you know, kind of looking at wakeboarding, I'm like, okay, I'm not doing 1080s now, so I'm not gonna obviously win best wakeboard of the year. But that was the only thing I could win, I think. So you you also you made you uh, released major videos with. Danny, which won those two awards, then Aaron Reed, which was another Wakescape which, video, which was another which, short movie, mm-hmm. and that did very well. Also, I mean, that's that, yeah, that that could have won as well. And then, um, well, well, both of those, I liked them both equally yeah, as much. They were both insane. I mean, very, very, very uh, creative and artistic for sure. And then, and then Bob Sovin and all three of you guys kind of worked together on those videos, right? Like yeah, it was awesome hand. to have a crew of people that teamed up and did that stuff. Um, I mean, there'd be days here when Bob would go and drive for Hampson, just drive a wench, not even bring a wakeboard or nothing. Like literally, okay, today's Danny's day. Let's do this. Pull him for hours behind the boats, trying stuff. And, you know, then all of a sudden it'd be Bob's turn and Danny would drive for him and it just worked. Everybody helped each other. It was awesome. You guys, you guys like lived together for a while, camped together for a while. I'm sure I'm sure you uh have some good stories from from some of those trips. Anything anything you can remember? Any like mm. one like real good story from uh with all three of those guys cuz I know I know I can't remember any good I know their stories but I can't remember any right now. I remember I know but, that all three of those guys are capable of some goofiness. Oh yeah, they're comedy. All of them are just absolute awesome people and just you're laughing the whole time you're around them. It was, it was fun to shoot, but the one um, shooting Hampson out here when he was trying big spins into the flats, you know, I've shot him doing them first try, and then for some reason it took him two days. I literally deleted I think eighty clips of him doing and how big insane, spins into the flats. But which how are insane hard. are those crashes that he? Well, takes. that's the thing. Me and Bob were literally in tears, dying laughing, because it was so ridiculous to a point that we were just we couldn't handle it anymore. But these big spins into the flats, I mean, if you guys have never seen Danny Hampson do his big spin into the flats, I mean, the guy takes a wakeboard cut into a wakeboard wake on a wake skate, and he does his tricks as, I mean, he's more aggressive hitting that wake than, I, I mean, than some pro wakeboarders, you know, and that's just mm-hmm. not, and that's on a wake skate. I mean, he's. So he'll get ejected. I mean, and I don't know if the video does it justice. I mean, if you ever see him ride live in front of your face, when he gets ejected on one of those out the front falls, I mean, he'll fly like 18 feet. Yeah, it's insane. He, he took some seriously. He never got injured, but he, 
he took some serious slams. Needless to say, I, I still congratulate you on those uh, awesome, awesome feats at Wake Awards. Anything in the future you see yourself uh, trying to do some web edits for that award ceremony again? Um, well, we just did uh, all the X Games Real Wake stuff. We just finished four weeks straight of shooting Daniel Grant. Yeah, and that's actually what I was what I was going to talk about here. Uh, talk about with you next here uh, the Ty Cable sensation, the Candyman mm-hmm. from Candyland, Daniel Grant, and and you were his filmer for for the Real Wake or just one yeah, of the filmers for Real Wake. Uh, each each rider there was eight riders. Each rider had their own filmer, and basically we had you know a budget to go and basically spend a month shooting and do the best we could do. And um, we went. I met him in Texas. We started in Texas and then went to California and then Thailand. Wow. Yeah. It's awesome. Okay. What's it like traveling with Daniel, eating with Daniel, filming with Daniel? I mean, rules are different outside of the States. And oh, yeah. I, he likes to have a good time partying with Daniel. I mean, this kid is almost inhuman. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he didn't, you know, there wasn't much partying while we were shooting this thing because we knew we had a very limited time i mean you know four weeks sounds like a lot but when it comes down to it it's not when you're trying to get all hammer tricks so he uh we were both on our game for that one and he you know he did well there were some days when obviously he'd be really sore from pushing himself the day before not wanting to ride but you know we only got a couple days in texas so it's like all right let's do this do you what do you now i know they're starting to release clips not i mean the videos are only a minute 30 seconds long from what i from yep. what i've gathered 90 seconds 90 second long videos all bangers supposedly uh supposed supposed to be stuff that we've almost never seen before just riding at a whole new well, level it, it was crazy watching you know because we, we got to watch them all already and uh you're like so blown away by the amount like there's new stuff going down that's never been done and just the amount of tricks but like every video is like that it was almost by the end you were like almost numb to seeing so much good stuff. It's kind of weird. So eight riders were were chose for this yeah. real wake. It's Daniel Grant. It's Rusty Malinowski. It's uh, Harley Clifford. Shota. Shota Tezuka. Rome. Rome. Chris Abadie from Shredtown was mm-hmm. in there. Aaron Rathy and um, Mike Dowdy. Oh, Mike Dowdy. So eight riders. And you've seen all eight videos? Mm-hmm. Is... Is there going to be, you know, this this episode of the podcast is probably going to air just before, this is going to come out uh, mid-July this year, so it's probably going to come out. Before. Right around the time when all this stuff's coming out. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you, you know, give away any secrets before this stuff comes out. But, yeah, I'm not saying a word. But are there new tricks? Are there things that are going to blow people's minds? I mm-hmm. mean, is it, it, did Mastercraft and everybody involved in this, uh, was it worth it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you basically take top eight guys in the world for the most part and make them really focus. Like they, everybody worked harder on this than anything they've ever done in their whole career. Were the right eight guys chosen? Yeah. What about Danny Harf? I would have loved to see Danny. There's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys that I would have liked to see in there. Right. But there's no, you know, I wouldn't want to take anybody out. I would just like to add more people to the sure. opportunity. Sure. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Now, do you plan to be at the August 8th event live uh, for ABC? I know Mastercraft's doing the big throwdown in in Michigan. Um, I don't know if I'll be there. 
I think because the 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 real wake and that, or the you know the video parts and that are kind of separate things. I think. I don't know. I don't know much about the throwdown thing. Gotcha. You're being coy. You're being coy. I really don't know anything about the throwdown, actually. You're just like, it's just like. Is it, is it double ups? I don't know anything about it. I don't know yet. I know Freddy Krueger, the jumper, is gonna is planning to do a 300-foot jump, break the world record on jump skis. I know that Parks has been practicing with Peter Fleck uh, on some barefoot stuff. And I know that eight of the best wakeboard, uh, wakeboarders in the world are all going to be on the waters of, uh, I think it's Millennia Park in Grand Rapids, Michigan. A- amazing sight. Uh, I've got a couple of fan questions for you, just a couple of them. You ready for it? Hit me. All right. First, Corey asks, what is your favorite place to go because you've been everywhere? Um, well, obviously, loving surfing, you know, Tahiti, Bali, all that stuff. I absolutely love it. But New Zealand this year was hands down, easy, easily top three places I've been, if not more than top three. Like I, I absolutely loved it. Me and Bob had a great time. Is it the sheer beauty? Well, it's the sheer beauty. Everything's close. To, like every little nook and cranny you go down, there's a beautiful beach with nobody around, just good waves, hardly anybody surfing. And we surf the one of the most popular spots over there, which is like perfect left points as far as you can see. I think there's 15 people is the most people we surfed with. Wow. Yeah. It's insane. So the weather was perfect. Yeah. So it, it was awesome weather. Um, we wakeboarded with some guys over there that had a G23 on this gorgeous river just glass calm it was it was amazing Collins has been awesome man before we let you go how can the listeners uh follow you and check out your work I guess Instagram's a good spot at colinharrington.com or no at colinharrington at colinharrington yep and then uh I've got a website that I'm redoing at the moment so that's that's kind of my goal the next little bit here and uh find me on Vimeo just Colin Harrington. boom that's it spelled YouTube C-O-L-L-I-N-H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. Did I hear a double R in there? Mm-hmm. Double R. All right, so at Colin Harrington on that Instagram, at Colin Harrington on Vimeo, ColinHarrington.com on the World Wide Web, right? Yeah, and the website's uh, really bad. They don't go to it yet. Wait a little bit. Let's, when, you hear this, when you hear this podcast, give it three weeks. Or, maybe, or, maybe four or five. <laughs> or if you're listening to this podcast after September of 2015, just go right to the website right now. Uh, your sponsors, your supporters, who are they? Who do you want to thank? Uh, Liquid Force. I mean, I've been with them for since 2003. So they've been supporting me and been awesome for me. Performance Ski and Surf. Actually, I've been with them since 2001 or two. Phil Porter, great guy. And um, GoPro. Love love what they've done for me and what they're just doing for people in general. It's awesome. And um O'Neill. They've been they've been awesome for me and love being with uh with a company like that that has a backing of surfing and stuff that I'm into. It's awesome. Very cool. Colin, thank you again so much. Uh what did you think, man? Do we uh meet or beat your expectations? We did. It was awesome. Thank you for listening. If you're listening. Yes, this they are. Trust me. W A M B C <laughs> yeah, we all wish. <laughs> Guys, that's uh, that's Colin Harrington, and uh, this is uh, coming at you from Colin Harrington's pad, Clear Lake, Orlando, Florida. We had an awesome time uh, with this little interview, and uh, I'll be right back to close things out. But first, let's uh, check out some more words from some really cool sponsors of the Golden Mike Podcast. 
Woodrose is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and a love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrose handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Follow Woodrose on Instagram at Woodrose or check them out online at Woodrose.com. That's W-O-O-D. R-O-Z-E dot com. Colin Harrington, one of the most interesting men in the world. I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Colin. It's always a good time with Col. He can be a bit quiet sometimes, but he's a super funny guy. Colin's a dude who should be able to inspire any rider. Any rider should look up to this guy. He's a self-made man. He figured out a niche and solidified himself. Uh, not just a good position within the industry, but a job, a solid job. With or without wakeboarding, from here on out, Colin Harrington, through his contacts and years of loyalty and hard work, continue working and traveling to the coolest places all around the country and all around the world. It was awesome for me to sit down with my old friend, and I'm glad we get to share it with you. I want to know what you listeners are thinking about. This is 22 episodes deep. I see the numbers. I know you're listening. Not exactly sure who you all are, but you know what? Let me know. Your feedback, it's always welcomed and encouraged. Shoot me a note through email, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com, or message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page. Again, I'm on Twitter, and you can follow me at the Dano T. Mano and at the golden underscore Mike. I'm also on Instagram, as most of you probably already know. Shoot me that follow at Dano T. Mano. Thank you to Colin Harrington. And now, a few shout-outs to the sponsors and the folks behind the scenes. Thank you to iWake.com, Performance Ski and Surf, Perfski.com, Hydra Fenders, Hungryboards SUP, Woodrose, Jammy Pack, SeaDeck Marine Products, GoPuck, Logos That Pop, and Empire Sound and Lighting. That's going to do it for today's show. I appreciate you all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Daniel Lamano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.